When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the Tiny Survival Guide and Card. These are two fantastic resources to keep with you at all times. And best of all, you can go over to Kickstarter right now to get yours first before they go live to the general public. Simply search Tiny Survival Guide over on kickstarter.com or click the link in the description below. Matt spoil people. I think it's important to do some of this training in street clothes. People that want to take up boxing need to learn how to do a little bit of stuff on the ground, you know, because if they get knocked down, their boxing is not going to help them. Incidental contact, an occasional busted nose or cut lip. If that's a major emergency, then you're probably in the wrong place. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Survival Show Podcast. Again, I'm your solo host today because David is AWOL. AWOL, absent without leave. No, actually, he's got leave. He's out in Vegas doing videos and audio podcasts for the Survival Show at SHOT Show. So we'll get him back here pretty soon. He's doing a fantastic job. Man, I've, I've been talking to him every day, numerous times a day, about the folks that he's talking to. I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say and who he's talked to out there. One of the things that's going real well for us out there, as well as in general, is the Kickstarter for the Tiny Survival Guide. So check it out, you all. He's put that thing in the hands of a bunch of people out there, and everybody's like, wow, this is cool. So check it out. Kickstarter is going fantastic. It's the Tiny Survival Guide, so check that out. Uh, Today, uh, a few weeks ago, you might remember we had my good buddy Brian Jones on, Dr. Brian Jones. Uh, He was on the show talking to us about physical fitness we went, we did so good and everything went so well with that. And we've had so much good feedback that we thought we'd have him back on to talk about something that's also right in his wheelhouse, which is Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, he again, does a lot of different things. He's a college professor. He's written several books. He teaches exercise physiology. He is a third degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu has training in judo as well as several other martial arts. He oversees instruction at his Valhalla Academy in Frankfort, Kentucky. So if you're interested in that sort of training, look him up. Also big new project. One of the things that we'll be talking today is his website, old school Jiu Jitsu. We'll talk about that and how to link to it. Uh, he's overseeing a team of contributors there that are putting all kinds of good content on that website. So Brian, what's up? How are you doing today? Good, Craig. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, this is. Uh, I always enjoy talking to you. So, uh, because we have a appreciation and like for martial arts, I thought we'd get back onto that today. If that sounds good to you, I love talking about martial arts. Let's do it. Hey, Brian. If you don't care, uh, would you care to just tell us about? your background in martial arts, the things that you've done, some of the agencies or units that you've trained and and stuff of that nature. Just tell us what you've been doing in martial arts. Sure. So my background, I have a, I guess that's one of the earliest things that I really 
took to is martial arts. Uh, I'm 44 now. I've been training since I was nine in something, uh, not always what I'm doing now. But I started out in Taekwondo, kind of did that for uh, several years. And then over the years, I've picked up different martial arts, uh, did some collegiate boxing. I did some Kempo. I did uh, a number of different uh, types of things in training, uh, dabbling in, in what uh, different styles. But when I found judo, I was kind of hooked on the grappling. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed judo. And I started doing that at the University of Kentucky. From there, I was introduced to uh, jiu-jitsu by, at the time, uh, jiu-jitsu was not very well known. So I didn't even know what a purple belt was. And um, a guy named Aaron Basil came to our judo club and just basically annihilated everybody on the ground. And I just really wanted to figure out how to do that because uh, it I was, trained with it was Aaron. So I know cool. exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. a meat grinder. I mean, he, he was, just man. annihilated. So I, uh, there, there was just nobody really heard about it. This, so this was kind of in the, 97 i guess 98 is kind of when i got started training brazilian jiu-jitsu and that was kind of in the days when it was the ufc started to popularize it but kentucky's not known for getting things first uh in terms of what uh, no <laughs> so i mean you know the the there were schools on the coast and everything but it you know it came here and um i was ended up training and training and training at uh uh, four seasons martial arts in Lexington and ended up getting my black belt in 2009. Been training and now I'm a third degree black belt under Carlson Gracie Jr. That is uh, kind of where I am and that's what I've stuck with is uh, jujitsu um, kind of blended with judo. I don't have a straight judo uh, class or anything like that. But judo infused or jiu-jitsu infused with judo in the sense that we do a lot of takedowns that other academies don't do sometimes. And the combatives aspect, you know, bringing back. So I did uh, mixed martial arts, amateur mixed martial arts and competed a bit when I was younger. I bring that back in because to me, that's always just been part of the jiu-jitsu experience, learning how to fight. As you mentioned uh, agencies. Well, I've worked with a number of different agencies, military in the state, National Guard, and also uh, some police units as far as emergency response units or uh, special response units, and just a lot of different individual personnel that have come in for training. So a big question for people that might be listening that might be interested is how to go about determining, if we, if we all look at Mark, you've, you've only not only mentioned a bunch of arts, there's hundreds of others, actually. If somebody's interested in getting into some martial arts, what kind of things can they utilize to help determine good training for our topic here, which is survival? actual self-defense and safety and stuff of that nature, not just for the sake of board or whatever. We want people to be able to defend themselves. What kind of things should they be looking for? I think the really the key component of uh, martial arts, obviously I have my uh, preferences for different ones, but the key component is that there is live training or sparring. So it's impossible to get good at fighting without fighting. It's just, that seems obvious to me, but practicing things with full cooperation all the time or in slow speed or in kata form is not going to make you a good fighter. 
you have to have the resistance of an opponent, the movement of an opponent, uh, whether that's striking or grappling. And you, you have to have some feedback. I mean, you need to get punched every once in a while or, you know, choked out or whatever it is. I mean, you have to have that. If you don't, then you have no experience with it. And when it comes to a situation of survival, it's going to be a completely foreign concept to have somebody actually grab you or punch you. You don't want your first experience getting punched to be in a real fight. I know early on, I mean, growing up, I got in a, I didn't get in a bunch of fights. I got in a few, but my method was always to surprise speed and violence of action. I mean, that was always my methodology. If I was going to get into it, I would just be calm. And then when I went crazy, I went crazy. But because of that, I think I got overconfident because I never got hit that much. I, I guess what I, I want something you said, it, it seems real simple and you kind of said it really quickly. I just want to encourage everybody to listen is when I got into judo, I got away from striking because you don't strike in judo that much. And so I had a student that was a boxer. And matter of fact, he was a professional boxer and he schooled me one night. I asked him to box a little bit. And I thought, you know, I've been a redneck. I can fight. I know how to fight. Put gloves on. I mean, this is kind of like nothing. And man, that cat schooled me. And it was just, I mean, I just got hit a lot in the face. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's, and it shocked me. I mean, I couldn't, I I didn't know what to do. I mean, it's, it's very valuable training to get hit in the face on a regular basis, not on a regular basis all the time, but you've got to do it some, you've got to do it some. If you're not, you're not ready for a fight. For sure. I mean, the contact is part of the, the fight training. It's a desensitization. Uh, you have to have be, if you're going to be dealing with violence, you have to become familiar or have a relationship with violence. If you don't have this experience where you understand that you can get hit and you can kill, keep moving, right? Or that, you know, you can wrestle with somebody and get thrown down and get back up. If you don't have this experience and it's completely, it's a completely foreign experience to you, you're going to freak out when it happens in real life. I mean, the first time people get hit, they freak out in training. So let that happen in training instead of actual situation where it matters. So one of the things that people see and it's so popular is the UFC and and, and pride and other fight promotions and stuff of that nature. What's your thoughts on all that and how it relates to people seeing stuff that might help them for survival? I think I know what the answer is, but I want to make sure I get it from you too. Well, the UFC uh, and the UFC has sort of evolved over the years um, into its own sort of sport, like mixed martial arts. So when I started in 97, there wasn't much of a, it was more of like no holds barred or volley tudo, that sort of thing. And there were fewer rules. And I guess to make it more acceptable to the United States and the world population, to make it uh, safer and less bloody, they've added rules. But as in terms of being training for a fight, uh, mixed martial arts training and is, is very close to a real fight. Now, there are differences. So there's a known factor that you're only fighting one person, right? There are certain areas that you can't strike and certain things that you can't do. It's, you know, it's going to happen. Nobody's surprising you. Hey, let me, let me ask you this real quick. I don't want to cut you off, but I do. There's just a lot of people that might not ever watch the UFC. So what kind of things can you not do in the UFC, for example? The UFC is 
it, it combines striking and grappling and you can do submissions and punches and kicks and knees and elbows but things that have been banned for instance that happen a lot in real life are you can't kick a downed opponent right? you used to be able to kick and stomp someone who was on the ground um, you know you can't elbow someone in the back of the neck uh, you can't bite people or gouge their eyes uh, you can't throw low blows say to the groin uh, there there's a, a lot of different things that um, early on you could you could actually throw low blows to the groin and i'm not sure of any ones and you could headbutt then and you can't headbutt now which headbutts in a in a really close contact situation are devastating so those those things have been banned and it's um it's still a fight. I don't get me wrong. Those, those, those guys are tough. And, uh, and the women, you know, there's women's MMA has gotten really big. There's some really tough, um, female athletes out there as well. Uh, just tough people, but the mentality is still a little bit more sportive. And I think that because of that, that people assume that if you're training MMA, you can always fight or, and more particularly, uh, jiu-jitsu, uh, which I, I've kind of gotten away from mixed martial arts, but I still do combative jiu-jitsu. So I would, that's kind of what I would consider jiu-jitsu from the old school. Um, so in, when I started, there wasn't much of a difference between uh, jiu-jitsu and it's like if you did jiu-jitsu, you were also going to be in volleyball matches or fights. So pretty much everybody that started was training to use grappling to neutralize punches and strikes and kicks and, and training for real fights. And that was just part of the curriculum. And now, because jiu-jitsu has become so popular, it's kind of taken a sport direction. And that self-defense element that was so prevalent and so effective has been left out of a lot of the curriculums because of, of the rule sets uh, for sports jiu-jitsu. Well, that's exactly where I was going next, is a, it just to get an idea to share with people. Because, again, a, a lot of people here, we, this is not a martial arts podcast. This is a survival show podcast. So there might be people here that don't know that there's a difference between, you know, fighting jiu-jitsu and sport jiu-jitsu. So why don't we dig into that, and what do you mean by that, and, and how does that all work for us as far as getting prepared for self-defense and in situations of that nature. So it seems in the past uh, maybe 10, 20 years, jiu-jitsu started out in the United States as this sort of thing that you had to explain to people what it was. Um, most people have heard of it, even if they're not super familiar with it, because of the popularity of the UFC. Um, you know, Hoist Gracie in 1993, I think UFC 1 came and did this stuff to people and there was just an explosion of interest but UFC and but jiu-jitsu is still very connected to fighting against people who were also were trying to punch you you know or or, or these no holds barred type events so most of the original uh, curricula for brazilian jiu-jitsu it's basically close a distance take someone to the ground and then apply a submission lock or choke them unconscious. And that is the jiu-jitsu that I learned and the jiu-jitsu that um, I practice and teach. Now, there's another side of that where you can compete in sport jiu-jitsu in a non-striking situation. So if we go, we start out and 
you try to get takedowns and we get points for those and positions and then there's chokes and submissions where you can win and so that has sort of deviated so the the the, the fight side of it and the striking and volley tudo no holds barred mixed martial arts side and the sports side have kind of increasingly gotten further apart yeah i'm guessing because i haven't seen a lot of that sport jiu-jitsu but i saw this happen in judo and me and you've talked about this in the past too that it almost get because people know that there's certain things that they can do to avoid points and when it's sport oriented i mean for example i'll just say this about judo for for the longest time now you can just lay on your belly and cover your neck and that way somebody can't do much to you and it's you know they don't gain any points and you retain your energy so you're ready to continue the competition but in reality on the street if you're laying on the ground holding your neck people are going to beat you in the back of the head so it's not a very good position no i mean <laughs> and, I, and because i just quite frankly i don't know that much about how sport jiu-jitsu goes about doing things i'm guessing that's what you're talking about people are just doing things because of a strategic uh point uh, or avoiding points being put on them and or them earning points is it is that what you're talking about yes yeah, so, so the environment uh, if you i was actually listening a guy i really like uh, chris howder is a sort of kind of an old school uh black belt and he has a lot of good videos where he talks about evolution of this um the old school and the new school jujitsu it's if you place um jujitsu in an environment with strikes if you don't hold the person near you and keep control of their hands they're going to beat you up so you can be on your back with your legs wrapped around in the guard if you don't control the person i mean you really want to be on top in that situation so you have gravity on your side with your strikes if you're going to be on the bottom you really have to tie them up and control them and watch out for their hands with sport jiu-jitsu because there's no striking you don't have to worry about getting hit so the techniques that have evolved are often responses to very skilled athletes uh, reactions to things so the the sport has gotten further and further away so that if you train exclusively for a sport situation and somebody suddenly punches you you may not even realize that the positions you're in you could get hit from if you're training for self-defense you have to first of all build a foundation of self-defense jiu-jitsu and then revisit that on a regular basis even if there's nothing wrong with doing sport jiu-jitsu or competitions it's just that in an exclusively sport school, then there may be no emphasis or no instruction on actual self-defense, on how to deal with somebody who's grabbing you in a headlock and trying to sling you around. Will you do better than somebody who isn't trained? Sure. But a lot of the schools don't even really bother with takedowns. They just sort of sit down because there's no penalty for sitting down and playing off of your back in a tournament in a street fight that's suicide i mean you're going to be sitting on asphalt scooting around and the last thing you want is to give up your situational awareness by just sitting down or like rolling to the turtle <laughs> that's even worse you know the turtle exists in jiu-jitsu where you roll on all fours and cover up it's not gonna you're not gonna last very long in a real fight that way Hey, this is the perfect time to tell you briefly about our sponsor today. 
which is the Tiny Survival Card and Tiny Survival Guide. They are small enough to fit in your wallet or purse, glove box, or any small area that you need one. The Tiny Survival Guide is incredibly well thought out and jam-packed resources full of information. The Tiny Survival Card is made from 0.025 inch thick 302 stainless steel and has a knife and other hard to improvise tools. We wanted a guide that would serve two purposes. Number one was to give you a resource to help you prepare before an event occurs. The Tiny Survival Guide does exactly that. Read it and determine what gaps you have in your disaster readiness and start fixing those gaps now. Secondly, we wanted something that would serve to help you in disaster that was easy and small enough to carry anywhere. The Tiny Guide is small enough to fit in your wallet, in a glove box, your pack, or anywhere you might have need to reference survival information. Go over to Kickstarter right now to get yours first before they go live to the general public. Simply search Tiny Survival Guide over on kickstarter.com or click the link in the description below. All right, let's get back into this podcast. I remember one night when I was training folks in judo, uh, I, I just, I'd get aggravated and get mad if I felt like they were getting lazy either getting lazy with the uniform or getting lazy with the dojo. And I took, I just took this whole class, about 20 of them out in the parking lot. And I said, all right, we're doing groundwork out here tonight. And, you know, gravel and rocks and who knows what else was out there. You know, that's where a fight happens. And if, if you get so conditioned to, you know, mats, mats, mats are a cheat too, I think. I mean, and if people don't consider that stuff, then they're not going to be ready for the real world. I agree. Uh, mats spoil people. I like to do grappling in the in the dirt sometimes, and also the the uniform matters. You know, some of these moves are kind of hard when you're wearing a hiking boot. It's hard to get your leg out. Uh, you know, people can grab a hold uh, of the of the clothing and your your leg, things that you're not used to wearing. I think it's important to do some some of this training in street clothes or whatever you're you're wearing on a regular basis. the 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 big thing with mats is that. Uh, you know, the reason it's in jiu-jitsu, in judo, let's, let's, let's take it to judo first. In judo, is all about the throw. So you're trying to throw the person flat on their back and score an ippon, a full point, or some quarter point or half point, and then continue it maybe on the ground with a pin or a submission lock. But basically, it's very throw-oriented. So people, a lot of times, can just bow out of groundwork by turtling up, like you said, and the ref stops the match and then restarts them from standing. In jiu-jitsu, um, it's very ground-oriented to the point where people don't, there's the, the point value of a takedown to in jiu-jitsu is often uh, people, people see that as not worth the effort. And since they're not penalized for just sitting down, and they're better from sitting down, then they'll just sit down in front of their opponent and try to make them get around their legs or what we call pass the guard. And, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tournament strategy or maybe pull them down to the ground. You know, the, these tournament strategies are designed for a gaming type environment. You can't really, you don't want to really do this in real life. You want to try to throw them. So you've said several times, I want to make sure these people understand, you mentioned takedowns. Well, that's not just kind of casually taking somebody to the ground. What What do you mean by that as, as far as it relates to like judo and sambo, stuff of that nature, even wrestling? 
Okay. So all of the grappling sports that you mentioned, so judo, jiu-jitsu, sambo, wrestling, have takedowns. Um, sometimes they call throws, depending on depending on what the situation is, but they're sort of synonymous. And it's basically sort of skillfully putting someone down hard onto the surface that you're standing on. And that's why in judo, and especially because it's so throw-oriented, break falls all the time you learn how to fall correctly and even then on a mat with somebody who falls correctly it still kind of hurts if you get slammed really hard and in jiu-jitsu you're on a mat as well right and you get points for that the the thing that i think is really important to remember is that people get spoiled and if you get thrown that is one of the most devastating things you can do to somebody far more than a punch or a kick is to throw them and hit them with the earth. (laughs) I love how you said that. I know, man. That's the biggest thing around is just hit them, hit them with the earth. And just, and people don't fall correctly. They hit their head, they reach out and break their arms. So, you can, those are fight enders, big throws are a lot of times fight enders. They, and then they put you in a standing position as compared to them. And then if they try to continue to attack you, then they're in a good spot that you get kicked in the teeth. One of the things that you pointed out, I want to make sure <clears throat> that I'm gathering and everybody else is too. You know, as far as sport Brazilian jiu-jitsu is concerned, no striking, but you're an advocate of making sure somebody gets some sort of striking training, right? I, I agree. I think at the very least, um, if you're talking about jujitsu, you can you can be a fighter or you can defend yourself without necessarily using a lot of strikes. You can have a grappling based thing. You don't have to stand and duke it out. Uh, some striking training is ideal, but at the very least, you need to be able to deal with someone who is striking you because everybody who attacks you is going to be trying to punch you or kick you. So if your, your training is deficient, you know, people should have a proficiency in striking, uh, at the very least defense, but if, if it's a striking art offense, so people that want to take up boxing need to learn how to do a little bit of stuff on the ground, you know, because if they get knocked down, their boxing is not going to help them. And jujitsu, you need a little bit of striking so that you can get somebody to the ground. Either take them down on top of them or take them down hard. There has to be some striking training or the ability to deal with strikes. Uh, And this, I'm seeing this less and less in jujitsu just because of the popularity of the sports side of it. How do we go about risk versus reward training, though? I mean, as far as taking it too far where we're, we're getting injured, and now I'm so injured I can't function as a human if I if I needed to in, in self-defense or something of that nature. How do we go about determining that risk? For, better yet, I mean, how do we defer, determine risk versus reward when we're trying to find a facility to train in? We, we don't have, let's say we don't have access to Baja and an expert like you. How do we help these people find a place and what kind of things to avoid, I guess? Well, the first thing is, you know, finding a school that's going to address what you want to address. So if you're, if your primary focus is self-defense going to a academy, a jiu-jitsu academy or any other kind of martial art that you're going to train, that's realistic, uh, that requires you 
to compete all the time or places a high premium on metal counts and things for promotions, they're not going to be typically uh, the kind of school that's going to going to give you the self-defense aspect. So that's that's something that you're going to want to think about. Hey, let me say this, Brian, because I, I just want to be real frank with everybody listening, because you and I know this and, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to be unprofessional about it. But at this point in my life, I don't care. But you know as well as I do that there's these Taekwondo studios out there that say they teach self-defense and and they're not worth a dime. So what I want to do is help. And I'm not saying all. And for you Taekwondo people out there, just bite me because I don't care. I know that there's some good ones out there. But for the most part, these McDojos that teach stuff that is not relative to self-defense, but they still tell people that it is. How can we help people see that so that they don't get sucked into that type of environment. Okay. That makes sense. One thing is, yes, definitely. The the training methods that they use, if you can't spar full contact or with full contact with control, when I say that, I I refer like boxers that spar in, in training aren't sparring as hard as they can most of the time. But if you don't have, Live resisting opponents. It's a uh, the straight blast gym. Matt Thornton came up with the uh, concept of aliveness, right? Aliveness and aliveness in training. So if you if you don't have someone fighting you back, then it's not going to help you. So it contact incidental contact, uh, you know, an occasional busted nose or cut lip. If that's a major emergency, then you're probably in the wrong place. Um, it's, uh, now obviously the, uh, schools that you go to, uh, some of the, on the other extreme <clears throat> is you have places where you go in and you're just a punching bag for a group of people that are fighters or, uh, just the, 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 the tough guys are not working with you. They're working against you. They're, they're less of a partner and more of an opponent, if you get that vibe and you can usually feel that uh, a lot of times, if you catch attitudes from people or you just don't feel comfortable there, people don't make you feel comfortable. It's probably not a good place. So you need some place that will push you and progressively introduce drills and stress that you can handle. Right. And occasionally if you're doing a, a defensive punching drill or whatever, you may get clocked, right? But that's just part of the the learning process, learning to deal with occasionally getting hit. But it shouldn't be, you know, there shouldn't be a concussion every night or, you know, blood everywhere. (laughs) That's just probably a bad idea. So there's a safe way to train realistically. And I think that that it takes a little bit. You can look up uh, recommendations, but you might want to ask them, you know, what kind of self-defense training that they do. And if they can't really say that we do this, these types of things for self-defense, you know, if if they're, or if they say we do these self-defense techniques and not self-defense training, there's a difference between uh, repping out a technique over and over again, cooperation, and then training to deal with an attacker in a live situation. Those are two different things. Yeah. And I think it bears saying too, that a lot of martial arts, not only do they have a cooperative partner, but they also, a lot of martial arts don't have a partner at all. And they do single form kata all the time. And I, 
personally, I shouldn't, I'm asking you the expert. I'm kind of getting my own opinions in there, but personally there's a value in that, but it's not for self-defense long-term. I mean, you've got to, you've got to have that aggressive opponent, right? Or partner. Absolutely. I mean, and I mean, you've been training martial arts for a long time, so (laughs) you throw in your two cents. I mean, you've got, that's an educated opinion on that. As far as staying healthy, because I think we, we want to make sure that people are healthy. Because again, our end result here is to be ready for disaster, survival and stuff of that nature. What kind of things should we be doing before, during and after class to remain healthy if we're going to be training in combatives or defensive tactics or martial arts or whatever? I know that's a big, that's a huge answer, I'm sure. But can you try to generalize it for us? I remember the last time that you had me on, we talked a lot about fitness. I think that the same things apply to martial arts. I mean, you need to warm up and you need some some sort of a cool down. You also you need to balance your training intensity with your cut recovery capacity. It's that whole, you know, stress plus rest is progress thing. And it applies across the board. If, if you're training to increase your odds of survival, then you don't want to kill yourself while you're training. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that that is counterproductive. Like, for instance, let's let's just take we'll go back to, to jujitsu. We catch each other in submission locks or choke holds and we have to give up, right? So you, somebody's compromised your elbow to the point where if you, they wanted to, they could like basically hyperextend it and snap it. Or they catch you in a choke where if you didn't give up, they'd choke you unconscious. So you concede that they got you by tapping out, you know, giving them a verbal and or physical signal by tapping them or the mat that, that you, you give up. And that's fine. That happens in training. So you have to, when you're training, let your, you communicate with your training partner. Like don't, don't go harder than they are if you don't want to escalate things. If you catch somebody in something, take care of them and make sure that you're being safe. So if you feel or think they tapped out, then let them go. If you're trying to defend something and it's gotten to the point where in the danger zone, there's no use being a hero in the training room, tap out and then just roll and just start from the, the ground and, and grapple again. So you have to you have to think about your safety and your longevity, because, again, if you're trying to train in order to be able to survive an altercation and you hurt yourself in training because you're training too hard, then you're in an even easier target when you're hurt. Hey, this is a good segue into what I was going to ask next. You, uh, One of the things that I've admired about BJJ, because for those listening, I did different martial arts other than BJJ. I didn't, I did, you know, as far as grappling, totally different art. Well, not totally different, but different arts. But with that said, one of the things I've always admired about BJJ is, I don't really know what to call it, but a brotherhood, sisterhood, a bond, whatever, whatever you guys have, uh, I love that you all have that. I mean, you all go hard, you train hard, and you basically arm bar, choke the snot out of, throw one another, and then everybody's good friends. How do you do that? And how do you make that happen as a coach, as a guy who runs an academy and how do you make that happen? Our academy has a very good uh, team atmosphere, and it it's one of those things where um, if you engage, it, it's it's a very paradoxical thing. It doesn't make sense to a lot of uh, of of people um, who think that everything should be a hundred percent safe and that nobody should ever probably push anybody or make hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, there's a lot of that, but interpersonal conflict 
you know, in the form of, of fighting it out or, you know, grappling and pushing each other actually brings people very close together. If you, you'll notice if you think back and it, you know, at least in my generation, if two kids got into a fight, they were usually friends after because they won mutual respect for each other. It actually kind of bonded them. And the fact that on a regular basis, you know, you're, you're really pushing the other person uh, to excel, then you just build a sort of tribal mentality with them. You, you respect them, you know what they can do. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's a very, it, there's a lot of bonding that goes on. Um, now, that isn't always the case. I think um, maybe there, you know, there's even in jujitsu world, there are larger academies where that may be impossible, the sort of uh, connections that you can build in a smaller uh, academy, but there was one that's more commercialized. But I think that, uh, you know, making sure that people are, you know, keeping to what your community standard is for behavior, you know, calling people out on rules, you know, uh, making sure that everybody's being safe. If you see somebody getting into a little bit of a, you know, sometimes people get kind of heated, you know, separate those people, talk to them and, and let them cool down because remind them that they're part of the same team and they're helping each other get better because you don't know what kind of day they've had. So just managing. Yeah, sure. Everybody's got stress. Exactly. And people come in to relieve that stress. They usually leave so much happier than when they came in. So I know there's a policy that you have in your facility that I think is pretty unique and one I like to get everybody to understand. This is not, I keep saying some things about your academy. Again, for those that are in the Frankfort, Kentucky area, check out Baja Academy and and go ahead and get on the website because Brian's got affiliates elsewhere too. I mean, down to Hazard and Richmond, Kentucky and all kinds of places. I don't even know where you all are, but but uh, check it out. And that way you might find a facility you can work with Brian too. But what what is this? sneak attack policy that you have. Can you tell everybody about that and how that works? Well, we instituted something where, uh, let me, let me, let me tell you the basis of it first before, before people think I'm insane. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not ready to respond immediately to an attack, then you're probably going to lose. So let's, let's say you're at a restaurant and you get up and somebody comes over, gets in your face, and suddenly somebody punches you, your first response should not be to think about why they might be punching or (laughs) to try to analyze the situation. You need to fight back then and now because that they've already got the initiative, right? So you need to take back the initiative and just learn to fight and just get in there. And so what we do is we just kind of sneak attack each other. We have... (laughs) sort of a standing policy that if you're on the mats uh, and you're there to train that somebody can just like take you down and start attacking you like with jujitsu obviously uh, unless we're doing a boxing drill or something then it can be a little bit more of a striking thing somebody might kind of just in in a way that doesn't hurt you but they'll let you know that you got hit so you don't spear tackle somebody as hard as you can from behind but you can kind of tackle them from behind or like as they're drinking water, kind of punch them in the gut or something <laughs> like that, you know, just a <laughs> sneak attack. And then once that happens, you keep fighting them so that they have to stop. It, basically, they have to click from I'm not in a conflict situation to I am in a conflict situation. So they're, it retrains them if that's their inclination to fight back immediately 
as opposed to just passively wonder what's going on because then there's no time limit. There's nothing. It's just, it goes until somebody gives up. I'm telling you right now. I love that. I love that. I mean, what I did guys and gals is I did Japanese Budo, different martial arts, Aikido and Judo and Aikido, or I mean, Aikido, Judo and Iaido specifically. And for lack of a better way of saying it, those are, most of those are trained in a very gentlemanly way and that detracts from the self-defense aspect of them meaning there's a lot of bows and basically shaking hands and you don't you would never do that in that type of facility and i'm just telling you right now for self-defense you need that i I love that that's fantastic man i thought it would would help and then people really seem to enjoy it (laughs) you just have to you just have to keep it in check (laughs) you know as far as like the intensity yeah, your job as a coach or whoever's leading the facility, they need to keep that in check. But still, it's good. I like it. Well, I was in there the other day, and one of my assistant instructors was teaching class, and I came over just to sort of help out. I was I was a little sore, and you know, I, I wasn't scheduled to teach, but I wanted to kind of pop in. But I put my gi on because there were some other people there. And sort of at the end of class, I was sitting there. The next thing I know, he's leapt on my back, and he's already choking me. <laughs> Like I'm nice. cold and, and nice. yeah, so it's, it's not, I'm not immune to this yeah, sure. thing. Awesome. That's cause I don't want to be, you know, it's I'm, I'm fair game. And it was really, really fun. It was just like, it just woke me up and get a little adrenaline dump for a second. And then you're just good to go. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love that. So it seems like as of late that you've been uh, emphasizing a fair amount of your time on this project that you're referring to as old school Brazilian jiu-jitsu that, you know, you've got a website, you've got a Facebook group and Instagram and all that. Won't, won't you tell us about that and what that's all about? The old school jiu-jitsu project that I'm working on is, it's designed to sort of draw in and create a community and network of people who still value the self-defense aspects of jiu-jitsu. Uh, there's, there's somewhat of a split. I'm not going to say it's, you know, completely polarized, but between kind of the old school, which refers to sort of the more fighting and self-defense style jiu-jitsu and the new school, which is almost exclusively competitive and gotten very much away from uh, the actual uh, fight oriented training. Now there are schools that do both really well. Um, it's possible to have a strong self-defense program and also have a strong competitive program, uh, but it's not common. So what this is, is a way of getting those people who value because the people, some of the competitors, they don't even value self-defense. I and mean, the things that they're doing are so far removed that it's self-defense is not even really brought up. It's it's basically become a competitive sport and, and rather than an art. And so the people on the other side are sort of left looking at what they're doing and it just doesn't make sense. So I'm trying to get those people um, in, in sort of a community and reemphasize the need for self-defense and get people talking about self-defense and try to create or help create a sort of resurgence of that sort of jujitsu, or at least a place where that can exist uh, and not be completely taken over by uh, the sports side. So I'm on that. I'm on your Facebook group and I, I'm pretty quiet on there, but I, I do learn a lot and pay attention to what you're saying. It seems like you've been showing some old photos even. I mean, some of the old the guys that founded these arts, I mean, going all the way back to even some of the stuff that comes out of Japan. And that's, I think that's good for people to understand the history of it and see how far away 
it's gotten from what it was intended to be. So, uh, I mean, are you going to continue to do that, the photos and videos and, and stuff of that nature? Absolutely. It's it's not just about the the, the fighting aspect, but there's also sort of uh, a historical component and a lineage component. I'm a big fan of uh, history and, and uh, philosophy of the martial arts. The Gracies put a lot of those fights out there when they were getting the UFC started and all that good stuff to show the efficiency of what it is that they've been doing. I mean, it was basically, Hey, this is a Kempo dude. Here's a Gracie jiu-jitsu representative. They're getting ready to scrap. This is what it looks like. Right. There was, there was definitely a lot of that. They did a couple of videos. Hoist and Hoyeron did uh, Gracie's in action and they put a lot of uh, footage of, you know, in school fights that had taken place either in the United States or in Brazil I know that it was a pretty commonplace, you know, challenges or challenge fights were really common as jiu-jitsu was getting popular in Brazil against different arts like Luda Livre and, and other wrestlers and catch wrestlers and just boxers. And they would challenge everybody and anybody. Yeah, that uh, I don't know what it was, and I'm sure you've had these experiences too, but for some, I, I, my primary facility was in Winchester for for a number of years and the town that I'm from. And for some reason, there was always a bar across the street from where we trained. And I can't tell you how many redneck farm boys would come in after they got about half buzzed and want to fight. And it was just, I wish I'd thought like the Gracies did to film it all, because that would have been, man, we probably would have got popular. <laughs> I think as far as survival is concerned, uh, if nothing else from this, I want people to understand there's a difference between sport martial arts and and fighting martial arts, particularly in this case, what Brian's discussing, which is, you know, his his site, old school jujitsu. So get in there and check it out. What are we what have we missed here, man? How do, how do people get connected with you if they want to follow up with you on what we've been talking about? Well, my academy is in Frankfurt, uh, Valhalla Academy, and it's ValhallaAcademy.com. And I can be reached at info at com by email. I have a, uh, the old school jujitsu project that's uh, growing right now is, has a website at oldschoolbjj.com. We've got some blog posts and we're putting up some uh, new content. Uh, we're really, there's a lot of things coming down the pipeline so they can get on there and uh, check out what we have already and also sign up for the email list so that when new things come out, they can be alerted. So we're not going to spam anybody. We just want to make sure that everybody sees everything that they that they can. The other things are we have a, a really thriving Instagram that's growing every day, old school underscore jujitsu, and then also a, a Facebook page, old school jujitsu. And then uh, there is a Facebook group as well, old school jujitsu, so that you know, can discuss these things a little more in depth. Brian's being real professional about what he's saying when he said he's growing pretty well. He's got like 10,000 plus in just a couple of months, you all. I mean, I hope that's an indicator of how fast <laughs> this thing's growing. And it's it's good. It's professionally done. It's got good information on it. It's going to help you with your ability to take care of yourself in a situation. So any of those social media platforms or websites or whatever that you have access to, that email list, you need to get on it so that you can find out ways that that Brian's because uh, like I said, I think I said in the last time we talked, but the blog pieces, like one of the blog pieces I read was about coaching and ego and that sort of thing is just good leadership for a family, even how to control ego. So you can apply those kind of principles that Brian's teaching through BJJ in daily life. I mean, we try to focus on that. So 
So what are we missing, man? Is that it? I think we got you covered, don't we? If that's it, I'm going to take us out. Sounds good. I appreciate you having me on, Craig. Yeah, man, I appreciate you so much, Brian. It's been so good hearing from you, and I've learned a lot from you. I always do when we get to hang out, so thanks for being here. Everybody, thank you for being here with Brian Jones of Valha Academy, Old School BJJ, oldschoolbjj.com or valhaacademy.com. Check him out. Subscribe to our podcast here now. Please please do that. It's free to do that. You can ensure you don't miss out on any of our episodes at all. If you enjoy the podcast, then please give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it might be. Click in the description below for show notes. That's going to have details and these links that I've been saying, because I know some of you are listening to us on your way to work, or you're listening to us at work, and you're like, I don't have time to write down the links. All the links are there in the show notes. That way you can get them get to them and they're all there for you so thanks guys for listening we'll see you next time on the survival show podcast keep it simple be positive and stay sharp